Few industries inspire passion like sports, but the business of sports has created issues that are too complex for the casual approach that we enjoy in typical sports talk shows. We've developed this podcast to host in-depth conversations about those topics with people who can help us learn. So grab your favorite beverage and join us for Intelligent Sports Talk in the Coffee Pond. Be looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, today in studio, we've got Chris Cook with us, uh, who is a, a big part of uh, what we do here at Texas Tech in terms of, you know, university communications and things like that. Uh, specifically, he's the managing director of communications and marketing um, for Texas Tech, the whole university. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're thrilled to have him here because I'm sure the stories he has uh, are fantastic, to say the least. Um, but I want to kind of go before we get to your position now. <laughs> want to go, you know, timeline in your life. This is kind of what something that we do with everybody. Okay. And I'd love to hear how you started. I saw that you attended Louisiana Tech, mm-hmm. as we were just talking about. Started that in 88. So take us take us from there. Kind of maybe even if you want, before then, growing up in Louisiana, what you, that was like. You know, I always had a um, – uh, I never thought of communications as a career, but I was always good at it. When I say good at it, uh, I had no problem talking to anybody at any time. That goes from a young age – um, up through now, I can walk into a room of strangers and I have no problem just talking to people. Um, but I was good at that in class as well. <laughs> so so I, I can't tell you how many classes I had to go out in the hallway because I <laughs> talked. And uh, I think I've passed that on to my son a little bit, but uh, we've been able to kind of get through to him that that's not okay. But um, so I, I, I never realized that that's why um, I'm doing what I do now, that I was really preparing for it and not knowing it. Um, we t- took a, these tests. I think everybody does them when you're in school, grade school, and uh, it kind of says, here are the three careers that you will be right. good at. This yeah. is what we project. Based on your answers, this is what we think. And mine came this before computers and all that, so it was something you sent in and it came back. And uh, mine spit out um, farmer because uh, my dad's a, a farmer, a uh, lawyer, oh, wow. and a disc jockey. So it, it was uh, it was kind of interesting to see that. But no, I went to when I went to college um, or when I was in high school, I worked for a um, uh, with parishes in Louisiana, not counties. And I worked for the parish newspaper as a photographer when I was 15 and um, uh, wasn't very good. Got some lessons, learned some things and was good enough. And uh, uh, so started taking pictures. And then uh, when I get my senior year of high school, worked at a bank and. Uh, still did not was not putting together. You know, a lot of things you've done relate to this future in communications. And uh, went to college as a, um, a chemistry major because I wanted to be an optometrist. And my grandfather had, had uh, glaucoma and things and lost his sight. I had an uncle who was legally blind, a cousin who was legally blind, and uh, so I thought, you know, that would be cool. It'd be something. But I really, if you, you know, I look back, I really know what I wanted to do. Uh, so I wanted to do optometry. I remember a guidance counselor in high school said, uh, Chris, you can't pass chemistry. And I thought, <laughs> that's some good guidance. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but but she was right. And and I struggled in chemistry. And, uh, and this was at Louisiana This Tech. was at Louisiana Tech. Did not do well at all in chemistry. I aced the lab. The hands-on stuff was great. Uh, the class, not so much. And so I bounced around a few majors and um, uh, had a friend at the time. Her parents said, you know, you like talking sports. You always talk about sports. And um, uh, why don't you try journalism or something? I thought I'd never cross my mind to do that. And that was the time when ESPN was about 10 years old and, and was really piquing everyone's interest, uh, especially college guys. You know, it was, it was really cool to watch ESPN and SportsCenter. And Dan Patrick was the guy at the time. And, uh, you know, so uh, I thought, ah, hey, you know what? Yeah, let's take a shot at this. And. Uh, that's when I saw after about three or four other majors, uh, marketing, accounting, I wanted to get into English as a major, but I had to go in the college of education. My grades weren't good. I'll be honest with you. My grades were not good enough to get in the college of education at that time. So I went to journalism and my grades went up and it's not that journalism was easier. It's that I connected. It was your passion. Yeah. I connected with, I had no idea it was my passion, no clue until that bit of advice from uh, a friend's parents and, um, just jumped into it and loved it. It was great. And not only did it reflect in the, you know, to my grades 
were, were okay in the journalism classes, they also went up in everything else. I started finding a focus. And, uh, you know, so I was on the five and a year, five and a half year undergrad path. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so uh, with that worked, um, I remember writing for the student paper and they, my first, we were on the quarter system there. So my first quarter, I was covering housing and police, and it was just, uh, it was brutal, <laughs> so boring. Uh, but I covered housing and police. And then the next quarter, I got to cover, I got to be on the sports staff. And uh, the current sports information director at Louisiana Tech now, uh, he and I were on that sports staff together. Oh, no way. And so um, we, I, my first story was covering, I think it was the Sunbelt Conference cross-country championships were coming up after once we returned from break. And um, I went to the sports information office, had no idea what this office was or that it existed. And because I said, how do I get in touch with the coach? How do I get in touch with the athletes? Uh, so I went by and spent about 30 minutes talking to the assistant director and left really without the information I needed, but left having volunteered. And I said, you, you take volunteers? And they said, absolutely. We've got maybe three students. And we've got a full-time director. I'm, this guy was part-time. The rest of his salary came from doing radio. And, uh, you know, that's how it started. My first event was Oklahoma State men's basketball. They were ranked sixth at La Tech. It was a 1030 tip. That was before ESPN had the other mm-hmm. platforms. So it was a 1030 tip. And I remember walking out in the gym and a couple of things that sold me. Uh, all the lights that had to be brought in for for television broadcast, all the cameras, uh, the announcers. John Saunders was one of the announcers that night. Um, and I remember seeing my friends in the stands. And they were like, hey, what are you doing? This? So I thought that was cool, too. And But I was hooked. That that was it. It was it was October or December, like, 6th or something, 1991. And when I walked out in the gym, that's when it clicked. I said, this is what I'm going to do. Not going to be on Sports Center. Not going to do. Not going to be a writer. None of these things. This is what I'm going to do. And so, uh, you know, it, it's kind of. Sometimes it's kind of uh, uh, surreal to be able to go back and point to a an exact moment, uh, but that's when I knew that this is what. If I'm lucky enough, I will do this until I retire. Which is fantastic that you're able to do that. I love that hearing that story and. Knowing in that moment in time. And so at this stage, you're what, junior, sophomore, junior? Uh, yeah, junior. And this was when you when you said uh, you were talking to the director, the director, was that the athletic director? That you no, were I'm sorry. It was the um, it was the assistant sports information director. Okay, and, the assistant uh, SID. Gotcha. Yeah, the assistant yeah. SID. And so he's the one like, yeah, man, we need all the help we can get. So come on in. And then so eventually after you, you well, I guess we shouldn't skip ahead too much. But what did you end up graduating in Louisiana Tech? I graduated in 93 with a degree in journalism. Journalism degree. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. And then from there, you stayed at Louisiana Tech. No, I, I actually, um, and you know, kind of another right place, right time deal. I walked in. It was, uh, I finished up the first summer session. And this was the end of June. And I just finished my last class. And I walked into the sports information office, and there was a couch and there at the front desk. And uh, the guy who had accepted me as a volunteer was sitting at that desk, and I sat down, and he said, um, I said, well, now i got to figure out what to do. You know, do I try to go to graduate school and become a teacher, um, teach journalism, teach English, something like that? Uh, English was my minor. And the phone rang. And he, I mean, again, timing is just amazing. The phone rang, and it was the sports information director from Western Kentucky University. And that Earlier that year, the volunteer assistant who traveled with men's basketball left in the middle of the season. And so I remember the director called and said, hey, the team's going to Western Kentucky tomorrow. Can you be on a plane with them? And I said, absolutely. And, you know, I remember that night I was running around doing laundry and I was excited and fired up because this is what, since uh, 91, so a little over a year now to January of 93, that this is what I want to do. And so I uh, made that trip. But then fast forward to, um, you know, I'm finished with my classes. The phone rings. It's this guy. He's talking to the assistant. And I hear the assistant say, well, I've got your intern right here. And so he hands me the phone. And I talked to uh, the director there for a little bit. And, and he said he remembered me when I when I came for the, the trip. And um, 
He said, you know, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, my focus right now is hiring a full-time assistant. He said, it's, it's not on hiring an intern. Uh, he said, I'm not going to interview people or bring them in. He said, if you are interested, you know, we'd like to have you. A week later, I was moving to Bowling Green, Kentucky. <laughs> and so, you know, right place, right time. Uh, I, I couldn't have been luckier. And the assistant he ended up hiring is now the director of uh, athletic communications at Ohio State. And oh, so wow. some good contacts Definitely. made throughout. Yeah, that's kind of funny how those you see those trees. Those yeah. trees exist everywhere, right. right? Right. Like I love coaching trees and looking at like who's yeah. connected yeah. where, and it's kind of the same idea. Yeah. Where and all these people that you end up working with at an early age and where they are now in mm-hmm. Ohio State. I mean, yeah, it's right up there with the top. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess that, that that's right. I, I I was looking it up here, and and you were so you went to Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That was fairly short lived, though. As assistant, you, were you assistant SID? No, I was an in, just an intern. Just so, an intern. so yeah, they, they've got many names for them, but you know, uh, um, graduate assistant, uh, just sports information assistant, gotcha. flunky, gopher, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, long hours. Yeah. Right. That was short lived, fairly, and then mm-hmm. you went over to St. Louis University. Yeah, I was at Western for a year, and uh, maybe just under a year. Um, uh, uh, the the assistant who had, was hired right at the, about the time I was uh, had uh, an opportunity to be uh, an intern at St. Louis. He had interviewed, I think, a year before as an intern at St. Louis. And um, I didn't take it, but he said, you know, you might try this out. The guy I talked to is great. And so I um, went over and interviewed and um, I think I went in there. I can't remember if I interviewed in person or over the phone, but I got the I got the position. And it was a um, it was still like an internship, but they called an assistant director because the idea was that uh, you know we're paying it more part time than we are as an intern level, but we're going to make it a full time position. And they did. They they it turned into a full time position within my first year. And so um, you know I was kind of on my way. But St. Louis University was was just a great opportunity. Western Kentucky was similar to what I was used to at La Tech. Uh, you know, a, a mid-level school, a great school. I'd, you know, always told my wife, that's where I met my wife and I always told her, I said, hey, you know, someday that'd be a great place to, um, you know, when you retire to go back and, and contribute. But um, that was before I spent 18 years in Lubbock, Texas, and <laughs> I think we'll stay right here. So, yeah. uh, But St. Louis University gave, gave another um, view into collegiate athletics and higher education at a private institution and, and how it's funded and how things well, are done. I was aware there. it was private. Yeah, it's a Jesuit Catholic institution like Marquette DePaul. I was going to uh, say, yeah. I, that's kind of a, a, a salient – or that's a c- consistent with universities mm-hmm. that are named after cities from what I understand. Like uh, – because the WCC Western or the West Coast Conference, mm-hmm. right? All basketball conference yeah. and other sports, yeah. but no football. Uh, they're like San Diego University, right? It's a Jesuit Catholic. San Francisco, San Francisco, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Portland, they're all and Seattle, they're all Jesuit Catholics, right? I think that's. I did not theme. realize that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So St. Louis, I was actually going to guess if it was okay. Jesuit Catholic. Yeah, Jesuit Catholic. So uh, I mean, it was a great place. I spent five years there and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Great. And I loved uh, earlier. I kind of want to circle back to something you had mentioned: right place, right time, and uh, that totally reminded me. Uh, we we were kind of speaking of a mutual friend of ours, Bob Condren, who had come mm-hmm. on a podcast earlier. Right. Have you heard his right place, right time story? I think he loves telling it. I think he told it twice in that podcast, actually. I think I have. He's spoken to a couple of my classes, but fantastic. Some, yeah, stories really. He's he's his um, the fact that that. These students here have access to someone like him, uh, someone like Linda Rutherford, uh, these uh, and many graduates who are working in these professions that come out of media and com uh, it is amazing. And um, but his stories and are get get students excited about the opportunities. And, you know, they're just starting out. He's wrapping it up. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, no, he's got some great stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. The resources available here are amazing. Yeah. Um, Bob Condren is just one of the many, many examples that we have. Right. And you as well. I mean, let's not discount the fact that <laughs> the, the tenure that you've had. And and this is the real thing I want to talk about, too. One of the, one of the big 
instances in your life that stood out to me because I've got to know exactly what happened, and I'm very impressed by it, is your jump from assistant SID at St. Louis to associate AD, like a head of marketing at Texas Tech. I mean, that's that to me seems very drastic and very impressive. Well, maybe I'm mistaken. Well, when I came, there's a little transition in there. Um, when I was hired here, I was hired as associate director uh, in the office. And um, the person that hired me left after three months uh, when I got here. I got here in April of 99. And he left after three months and went out to um, work for one of the, uh, you know, his websites became more prevalent on college campuses and athletics, uh, he went to work for one of those companies. And um, they brought another director in from from Auburn, and he stayed nine months and went back to Birmingham, um, had an opportunity there. And at that point, that was in um, 1990. And so they just kind of left it open for a little bit. Do you mean 99? Sorry. Yes, yes, yeah. 99, I'm sorry. That's right. Uh, so it was 2000 is what I meant, yeah. not 90, 2000. So that was in 2000 when uh, the second boss I had left. And so I remember Coach Myers, our athletic director, said, you know, he said, here's what you need to do. Just move your stuff in that office. I'm not going to give you the job right now. But just move in there and run it, and let's see how it goes. And so I moved into the big office and um, and just kind of took over. And I'm be honest with you, I was green. That was in – that was in 2000. I'd not yet hit my 30th birthday that year, so I'm 29 years old thinking I, I was hoping to have an opportunity like this when I was 40, right. not 29. I'm 29 right now thinking all of a sudden I haven't done anything. <laughs> hey, right place, right time, I'm <laughs> telling you. And uh, so I, uh, I did it for a few months, and I had to overlap. I overlapped basketball and football, and that was very, very difficult. And uh, so Coach Myers gave me the job, and I was very grateful for that. And um, so that's when I became director was in January. I believe it was January of 2001. That's so 10 years, 10 years to the day, or 10 years, maybe actually really nine years when I first stepped foot in the Law Tech Sports Information Office a little over nine years later. Um, you know, I'm kind of in the big seat in the office going, wow, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And so uh, there was a lot of the learning curve was became huge at that point um, because I think I sold it well that I can do this. Uh, but there was a tremendous amount of learning. And there are some people uh, still working in the Big 12 conference that um, I leaned on heavily, uh, whether they knew it or not. It was by observing, uh, by asking questions and things like that, uh, that, that I leaned on heavily and kind of built my – kind of my own way of doing things around that is just an amazing meteoric rise really yeah it's i never and it's just now saying that it never dawned on me that it was a little nine years in a month yeah. uh, from that time yeah. in 91 Almost and it just never yeah. dawned on me wow that is, yeah, well, <laughs> hey i'm here for you right? yeah thank you thanks <laughs> yeah uh i i think there's a big theme here too to take note of that i've actually thought of as well that really college doesn't necessarily it doesn't it, well it certainly doesn't turn you into any expert in any job right, it, it right. just isn't capable right. of doing that but more than anything college if done right teaches you to be able to learn on the fly yes to hit deadlines not not specific content so to speak but the just the idea of being dependable yeah and it sounds like that was a a huge value to you throughout this process because they said hey, why don't we give you a shot at this? Yeah. And mm-hmm. then from there, it's like, if you can prove that you can learn on the fly, hit deadlines and do what we need you to do, then it's yours. And- you know, I think um, um, the the deadline part of it, most definitely in college, having to hit deadlines for assignments and things like that. But, you know, I, and, and I don't know if a lot of students think this way or not, but I never thought back as I'm going through these first several years of my career, I never thought back to college and pulled from experiences I should have. But I don't recall ever doing that. Uh, I just recall, hey, I'm learning on the job. This is on the fly. When I went back and got my master's, so started in, two, in 08 here, I remember after the first year thinking, you know, more mature now, and, and, and I start thinking about the classes, start thinking about how, you know, the critical thinking, the, um, uh, you know, am I ever going to use theory or things like that in what I do. And while I may not directly go back and 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 
you know, sight theory and things like that, indirectly you do use some of those things. And so it, 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 going through the master's program here gave me a better appreciation and allowed me to go back to when I was in college saying, you know, if you had really leaned on some of these things rather than just uh, I lived in the moment, I loved the, the opportunities I was given, I was doing what I wanted to do, but um, I always felt like I could have been better during those times. And how could I do that? Well, looking back at college, it, how I was able to, once I found journalism, that it sparked that. Um, I don't know if that's making any sense, but no, it, it was, yeah. it, but it, it, I look back now and appreciate it even more. All those, all the, maybe some of the stumbling blocks, uh, a lot of the lessons from the, had wonderful faculty at, at Louisiana Tech. And um, I just wish I had maybe tapped that resource a little bit more early on in my career. So, you know, I, I, I tell students uh, quite often that, hey, everything you're learning here, you're going to learn a lot on the job. It's going to be different than what you're learning here. But what this is doing is giving you the foundation and a skill set. And you're going to expand on that and build on that. Don't lose sight of that. And so I think I lost sight of that because there were times where I, I would sit in my office, even at St. Louis, go, I do not know what I'm doing. Even my first few years at Texas Tech, I would sit here and go, wow, I'm in this great position, but what do I do next? And um, not job-wise, but what do I need to do to continue reinventing myself and, and moving up? So I, th- I think reflecting back is a big, big part of that. And so now, since I started in 2008, 2009, I start reflecting. I mean, I start looking back and at experiences and, and um, uh, what people have told me and taught me and things like that throughout uh, – uh, my career, and it's just been a—it's a huge asset to have. So, if I may, I'd—I'd uh, I'd love for you to expound when you say reflecting back. What do you mean exactly when you reflect? I mean, are you talking about simple times when just like the experiences you had and cherishing those yeah. moments, or do you mean actively kind of seeking out like when was that moment that I did this and how if, did it help? If you do not have over the course of fifteen, ten years in a career, five years in a career, if you don't have teachable or learning moments moments you can go back and learn from, then you've not well, – there, there's, no, there's no way that people don't have that. You've never done anything perfectly. And it's kind of that uh, – uh, what, what was – we, before we walked in here, the quote of failure. The failure precedes success. Failure pre- precedes success. And failure is often uh, – sometimes when you're young is something that you just cast aside. It's a nightmare to think of failure, and, 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 and I think that was part of me. I never learned from my mistakes. I would, and that doesn't mean I repeated my mistakes, but I would more be careful rather than go back and learn, okay, why did this not work? Why did I get called into an office on this? Why was this coach upset about this? Um, so, you know, it, the, we, when I say reflect back, there we all have moments that we can look back to and relate to many different things we're facing and um, you know just to not repeat those or or to learn from learn how to do things better it's kind of a, the evaluation process and research and things like that uh, or in when you do a PR plan a marketing plan you're going to reevaluate consistently and so you got to go back and look at experiences you've had and and um, I've got about four or five I share with classes all the time that that resonate with me today I would love to hear maybe just your favorite one to share before we get to that. Though. Okay, sure. Um, credit where credit is due. That was something that uh, our my producer, Jody Rogenson, had just kind of spit out there as we walked in. Failure precedes success. Yeah. Do you have an experience maybe that you like sharing with your students that is yeah, that there's So this, this goes back to my first year or my year at Western Kentucky. And I remember we sat in cubicles. And uh, – my boss is a great guy. He was, he's a, I think he was a sports information director for over 30 years there. And, and, uh, um, I remember he threw, or I remember I'm sitting at my computer and like four or five pieces of mail just fall on my head. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going? So I look and he tossed my mail to me. He had all the mail. He just tossed it over the cubicle at me. And, um, he had these tall cubicles too. So he had to throw it. And so I, I laughed and he, I walked around and I said, you know, you could just reach around the cubicle and hand it to me. And he said, you know, he said, you have to expect the unexpected and everything you do. And so I think he, he, I don't know that he was intending to have a teachable moment there, but 
he turned it into one. He said, expect the unexpected. So fast forward to 2001 when we hired Coach Knight. And um, I remember the person who is the position I hold now who was in that position. I remember we sat down with Coach Knight. And uh, we said, here's the flow of the day. Here's what we're going to do. We're having an unconventional press conference in the arena with 3,000 fans and national media. We have 150 media members down on the floor. I'm sure he was just riveted by this. Well, he was just, you know, he was very agreeable. I mean, he was like, yo, I mean, he wasn't, we weren't having a chummy conversation, but he was very agreeable. And so we're like, this is the flow of the day, blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, the idea is that we would, introduce him he would say some words the ad others would say words and then we would take a 10 minute recess let the you know the the crowd clear out and he was okay with all that until we got up there and i'm standing standing at the podium and and i said okay we're gonna take a 10 minute break and allow the fans to uh leave the arena and um you know i feel this hand uh, on my shoulder just kind of guiding me out of the way and he said no i want him to stay so, you know, at that point, the things that went through my mind, the, the biggest thing was, well, this press conference is going to be a lot different than what it would have been without fans. Because um, my immediate thought was any question about past incidents and things like that is, is going to be met with a course of booze. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, so, you know, you, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you're not going to turn around and say no not with all these cameras and everything, but you just kind of go with the flow and, and hope for the best. And I mean, it worked out, but it was not the ideal situation. So you have to, you have to kind of, um, and not that there was anything we could do to change the setting or anything, but you have to prepare mentally for what's coming. And then you have to prepare, okay, uh, you know, there's going to be a course of booze. First question, boot right off the bat. It was about Indiana and -hmm. just a course of booze. And, and I thought, okay, you know, so I'm going to hear from this reporter, when this is over, I'm going to hear from this reporter when this is over and this one. And so, you know, you just kind of start preparing, but that's just one of my stories. There, there are many, right. many stories. Once you said Bobby Knight, I was like, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's like Bobby Knight dropped the mail on your head. That's what that was, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. It was, it was the, so, you know, so, the, and there were times before that where the unexpected popped up, but not at that level. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate sure, it. Sure. Sure. In 08, uh-huh. you go back to get a master's degree. And that stood out to me because at this point, you already have a, a fantastic job. You know, you're right. associate AD and things like that, a marketing, right. and it's a it's a top position. So what spurred you to get a master's degree? What, made you, what prompted you and made you think that that would be more beneficial to you? You know, I was thinking, um, and, and I thought that sports information was something I'd do until I retired. And, um, uh, you know, I started thinking, what if I want to get out one day? And what if I want to get out of sports communications, period? Uh, what, do I, what do I need to do? And I had this question in my head, is what I've been doing for, at that point, 15 years as a graduate, uh, is that going to translate into private sector and communications or an agency or something like that? And so I called a, uh, a president of, a, of an advertising firm, and advertising was not my background, but he had PR wing in his in his organization. I called him. Uh, he was gracious, or I emailed him. He was gracious enough to to visit with me on the phone. And I said, "Okay, here's the deal. I don't know what my future is going to hold. I'm uh, you know 38 years old, and here's what I'm thinking. And uh, either stay in sports, but try to climb a ladder in sport sports administration, um, or get in the private sector and." and work at a PR communications company, something like that. And so I I'd sent him my resume, and we talked a little bit. I said, I, I'm going to go back to school, and I'm going to divide this up. I'm going to take classes that relate to sport administration, classes that relate to public relations, and uh, kind of an interdisciplinary studies degree. <laughs> and um, so the last question I asked, he had good advice, but the last question I asked him, I said, okay, but you have my resume. Would you hire me today? I said, I'm not asking for a job. I just want your opinion. And he said, yes, I would. He said, but I would hire you at an entry level like I do a college graduates because I don't know if your background will translate. He said, it might, but I don't know that. And so, you know, I go through the, the program. And then during – while I'm in this uh, in this degree plan, I start really focus- – after the first year, I start leaning more toward mass communication courses. And um, 
when I got the opportunity to get this job that I'm in now, I've switched the whole thing to um, you know, College of Mass Communication at the time and just switched my entire degree to that. And, um, you know, I'm glad I did so. And so it was, I think there was a part of me that was looking for not a way out of athletics because I loved it. I could have done it till I retired, but was looking for that opportunity if an opportunity arose. Well, when that opportunity did arise, I thought, you know, this is a good time. I have a three-year-old at home. Um, I've been gone most weekends throughout my career. Yeah. So let's, you know what, let's go ahead and take advantage of this opportunity. And, and it's, and it's worked out. So, and also, you know, finished the master's degree. Uh, one thing that came out of that though, and, and, I, and I scribbled out a blog on this about a year or so ago is when he asked me that question or he said, or when he made the statement, I don't know if it'll translate. And I can tell you the pace in athletics is I mean, it's furious. It, I mean, it slows down a little bit in the summer, but it's a furious pace. Uh, the pace I live in now is not at that at that NASCAR type pace. It can be busier, and there's a lot more to deal with in a university setting than it is in an athletic setting. There's no question. So it, there there's a, there's some correlations. There's some things that are different. Um, but I felt from a pace standpoint, athletics was a huge benefit. Um, the many different personalities you work with are great benefit. And so that might be me being biased, but I go back and, um, and when people ask me now, I, I still have people ask to this day when I go to conferences and things like that, we just start talking about backgrounds and things. And uh, I had a guy uh, from University of the Northeast. He used to write for the Associated Press, and he's now working in – um, a college communications office. And he looks at me and says, well, how did what you do translate over? And I thought, well, you were, you know, a, a, a writer outside of university. How did that translate over? And you weren't doing communications. You were a writer. And so, I mean, it's all communications, but not in, in this way. And and so it's that's not to be offended by that, but it's to just to kind of show it's it's a way I, I I show and say okay think about how you translated being a journalist covering something to now you are uh, you're still telling a story but you also now have to protect that brand and so it's different and and um, uh, so we you know it, uh, you kind of open eyes when you have the discussion about that and I mean we I could go on an hour on the discussions I've had on that but uh, it, it's. It was. Um, I wasn't offended by the guy's statement that day in 2008 um, because I didn't know myself. But looking back, uh, it's very transferable. Uh, communication skills, I think you can translate across any industry, uh, across any, uh, you know, whether it's uh, communications to me is communications. The topics change. And uh, that was something that, that I started figuring out as I'm in this role I'm in now. And yeah, sure. There's there's a learning curve, but it's not. But when it comes down to the skills of communications, they're transferable. Hundred percent agree. Yeah, and this kind of reminds me, kind of to to make it somewhat analogous to sports. Um, we talk about you know as we're analyzing athletes from going to the collegiate level to the mm-hmm. professional level, like what's going to translate. And and I think time and time again, nobody's really done a study on this. I'm not even sure how you measure this which is probably why we don't know definitively one way or the other, but I feel like the one skill that really transfers over better than others from collegiate athletics to professional athletics is work ethic. Right. And those that are right. have the willingness to work hard and adapt to that mm-hmm. lifestyle yeah. are the ones that succeed. And you know what? We're seeing a very um, relevant storyline right now in the Super Bowl with this Chris Hogan receiver right. for Patriots. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think that guy played one year at Monmouth, yeah, college <laughs> playing receiver after playing four years of lacrosse at Penn State. Clearly, he's an athletic guy. Sure, sure. But here he is playing, starring in the Super Bowl as yeah. one of the top go-to receivers for the favored team. Well, and and, and you look at you talk about work work ethic. I think guys that are that are smaller in stature do have to overcome um, uh, that. Doesn't mean they're not athletic by any means. But uh, you, you know, the, the New England Patriots have made their money off guys like Wes Welker. Danny Amendolas, we'll throw the two Red Raiders That's out there. Right. Not big guys. Right. Uh, Edelman. Um, oh, who's a Kent State quarterback. Kent State quarterback. Yeah. 
You know, and I think they had uh, Woodhead for a while right. and not a big guy. So, uh, you know, they, there's a place for people who work their tails off, and that's what these guys do. I mean, all those guys do, but, you know, when you have – uh, when you look at the draft, you know not many guys at five foot six are getting drafted. Mm-hmm. They're they're gonna take a chance in the free agent market, or people are gonna say, well, if they're there, you know, we'll we'll throw a free agent deal at them, but uh, we're not gonna draft a guy that's five six. And uh, but they end up being some of the best talent if they work hard. I mean, that goes in anything. Yeah, no, and that's yeah. and that was why I wanted to make that analogy because I do think it applies. Yeah. To the professional world, and I think you are a great example of that. Whether you not, whether or not you want to admit to it, that's certainly what I've determined so far is that it's it's your willingness to work hard at this right. and to really learn on the fly. And well, the, the thing is, is is, um, and sometimes we lose sight of this. I know I do. Is that we can be better at what we're doing, and um, you know, either you recognize that yourself or someone points it out, and um, you can always get better to the day you retire. Um, you know, in your career. And uh, so uh, it is important to, it's important to another thing. I've, I've, I've kind of work in so many different things when I talk to students, but, you know, when you graduate, you don't know it all. Matter of fact, you know, <laughs> probably very little of what you're, but, but you have a great foundation. And um, when you, but as you go, you know, even if you're, you know, 46 years old, there's still so much more you can learn uh, because, I, you know, I hope I still have a long career ahead of me. Um, so I was uh, uh, I wanted to ask you about your involvement in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, so you know I first met those guys in 2005 when we went and played there. And and the thing about the Cotton Bowls, their staff's been consistent, their primary staff, and I think they have seven or eight full time people, <clears throat> tons of volunteers. Uh, their the Cotton Bowl board is made up of Red Raiders. I mean, there's so many Red Raider or Texas Tech alum uh, on the Cotton Bowl board. And um, uh, going back to uh, Field Scoville, who uh, was the, one of the founders of, of the, in the, the Field Scoville Trophy, or the Scoville Trophy is what they give out to the winner. Uh, you know, his, sons, his son played football here. His three sons played football here. And um, one of them's a team doctor now. And uh, so, uh, but you've got all these connections, Texas Tech and the Cotton Bowl. But anyway, uh, I think there was a lot of excitement. We played there in 95 and uh, didn't do so, so well. And we still, we've been there twice since and haven't won. But that's, you know, it, it, it'll come. But we went there in 05 and I met those guys. And it's such a well-run event. And it's such a hospitality, customer service. Everything is done first rate. And so that always stuck with me. And we went back after the 08 season and played there, and it was very much the same type deal. So fast forward to last year, um, we had the college football playoff and <clears throat> Alabama and Michigan State playing there in the from one of the semifinals. And so a friend of mine who does um, uh, web work and some other things for the Cotton Bowl, she also uh, does the statistics for Cotton Bowl games and runs the stats crew. She said, hey, you want to come out and help? Uh, you know these guys. Uh, I think they're comfortable with you. Do you want to come and and work Cotton Bowl week? And I said, you know, sure. You know, they put us up in the Omni, and you know, my son and uh, wife went, and we you had a great time. Worked a few hours a day, and uh, went to the game and worked. But it was, you know, it was awesome, and uh, uh, got to be down on the field, just around some of those guys, and appreciate the size of guys like Derek Henry, and, oh. and you know, so these guys are monsters, and uh, you know, so. Enjoyed it. Went back this past year, and it's kind of a unique deal. With uh, it wasn't a playoff game, but uh, the storyline was Western Michigan being undefeated and being there, and and you know giving Wisconsin everything they had, and um, uh, but just a good experience. It's good. To, it's good after being in athletics for so many years. And 2009 football season was my last, but to be able to walk through, you know, I still do it here every game. I try to walk down press row. Um, at, at Jones Stadium and and make sure to say hi to everybody because I made some good friendships. There were some good people that we worked with in the media and I don't want that to I don't want that relationship to be over because I no longer work in athletics. And there have been times since then I've talked to a couple of them about some things, especially when you talk conference realignment and your president is involved. So now uh, some of these so you want to maintain those relationships and and one, because I enjoy visiting with people, I enjoy talking to them on a personal level, but also because it is important to maintain um, um, that just from a working perspective. And uh, so 
going to the Cotton Bowl, I see more of those people, especially from a national level, and uh, able to kind of uh, say, hey, you know, remember, oh, yeah, I remember you. And, you know, if we didn't, we'd just remind them. Uh, but uh, uh, I like doing it. I like Cotton Bowl. I love I've, the Alamo Bowl was a great experience and played there. I haven't volunteered there, but um, I know um, uh, Jody Robinson took a couple of students down, and it's uh, you know they they do an equivalent experience as far as customer service and the way they treat you, and and uh, you know some good people there too, good media to run into. But uh, yeah, the last two years the Cotton Bowl has been fantastic. I've enjoyed doing that. That's great. No, I, establishing and maintaining relationships can be yeah. a natural type of style to some people. And it right. sounds like that's certainly what you've taken and, and run with as you've proceeded in your career. And and because you switched career paths, not career paths, I should say, but uh, careers um, as, you know, going from athletics to the yeah. whole university representing them, that's huge to have the media still there by your side. Well, it's uh, you, you talk about uh, – lessons and things that 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 you learn throughout and things we also uh impart on people and uh one is the always when do media training give 10 second sound bites 20 seconds tops don't that's really long but give and here i am i think i've spoken in three minute waves here so. <laughs> <laughs> i'm loving it though uh so what is your favorite thing to do when you want to just wind down you just want to kick it you're with your family <laughs> And and outside like outside of just being with your family sure. as a family, what do you like? To do? Um, well, first of all, I like to run. I've done a few marathons, and um, I just like to get out and run. It's a, I mean, I can if I'm by myself, I can think so clearly. If I'm running with someone, we can have a conversation until the pace amps up, and then I either I either focus on my breathing or I talk and die. And so, um, uh, but I, I really enjoy running. I enjoy, um, you know. I don't even know why I have cable. All I do is watch uh, Big Bang Theory reruns <laughs> and uh, Seinfeld reruns. Uh, You're a man after my own heart. That's all I watch. So, um, you know, I, it's really revolves around my son's activities, what he does. Um, running gives nice, you know, run for hour stretches. And, and to me, that's enough private time. It's time to spend time with them. And whether we're just watching TV or we're going to do something. Uh, but that's kind of how I do it. What and and you 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 can honestly you can pass on any of these stories. That's and you okay. Already, and you already shared a, a story about Bobby Knight. But do you have a favorite Texas Tech sports story that you like to tell? That's uh, maybe a little more funny or something like that. Oh, let's see. Um, gosh, I don't even know where to start there. Um, you know, I remember with Coach Leach here. Um, a BYU guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when he was here, you know, some of the things that he would say, you just kind of – you cock your head and you look at him and you're thinking, what? What are you ta- – um, there, I can think of – there are probably dozens of stories about him one night walking out to um, – <clears throat> walking out to Sunday night practice, I'd stopped at Chicken Express because at the time they had the best sweet tea in Lubbock. And, I mean, I think they poured four cups of sugar into a <laughs> gallon of tea. And uh, so I'm standing there, and, and it's uh, Coach Leach, uh, Coach Holgerson, who's now at West Virginia, Coach Dykes, who um, unfortunately was just let go at Cal. Um, oh, who else was out there? Lincoln Riley, who's offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. I mean, this is like a who's who now of guys yeah, out there coaching. Yeah. And... <clears throat> We're standing there. He said, what are you drinking? I said, sweet tea. And so we, at that time, uh, I remember uh, Dana and Sonny going, they kind of dropped their heads because they knew what was coming. And he was going to give us the history of sweet tea. And, uh, you know, he'd start with his arms in the air like he always did, kind of drawing this map of where the sweet tea, they don't know sweet tea in Kentucky. It's not the true South and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going, I disagree, but I'm not going to argue with you because uh, y'all need to start practice. And uh, so at the end of practice, I remember Coach Holgerson came to me and said, do not engage him ever again right before practice. <laughs> he said, because we're late already. And uh, But, you know, there just stuff like that. There are a lot of little stories like that are good. Um, one of my favorite moments is obviously Crabtree's catch in 08 against Texas, and, and I remember being emotionless on the sideline because the play before, right in front of me, probably 20 feet in front of me, the Texas receiver 
or the defender, the ball goes through his arms, and everybody thought he had a pick. Right. And uh, so at that moment, you're just going, oh, you know, you think, wow, we just escaped this. So that emotion's going through. Then you score. Well, I can't go from one emotion to the other without having a heart attack. So I just sat there. I was kind of stoned thinking, why did I just witness what I just see here? Uh, good moment. Um, one of the most iconic moments what, now in NCAA football. I, I, and I think so. I, I think so. Uh, one of the most exciting finishes. And, uh, you know, one of the most fun times was going to the Bolitnikoff Award and after the dinner just a group of about 10 of us uh, going to have, uh, you know, some a few drinks. And, and among those 10 was Fred Bolitnikoff and, and Dan Fouts. Holy and just very personable. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I'm sitting here with Dan Fouts and, you know, a guy I watched as a kid and Fred Bolitnikoff I watched as a kid and thinking they're, they're gracious, they're very nice. Um, I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. Um, so there's just a lot of little cool things like that, a lot of fun stories like that. Um, trying to think of something from my earlier days you know when i was at st louis i love telling the story to students it's one of my lessons learned uh, is about being persistent Mm -hmm. and uh you know you know what's a good story you know what you think will make a good story you have to put your your yourself in the shoes of an editor would they make this a good story or would they think it's a good story how do you convince them it would be if they don't bite and so, you know, we had a second-year soccer program, women's soccer. And St. Louis was a hotbed of soccer at the time. And Brian McBride, a lot of great players came out of St. Louis. And um, uh, I remember people said it was a no-brainer that St. Louis established a women's soccer team. So we had some good players. But, uh, you know, you, you've got the Rams, the Cardinals overlapping in the fall. Uh, the Blues are getting ready to start. Uh, St. Louis University soccer was top ten, men's soccer. Uh, men's basketball was getting ready to heat up at St. Louis, which was, drew about 16,000 to 17,000 a night, so it got a lot of coverage. Uh, so finding coverage for my burgeoning women's soccer program was difficult. And I remember uh, looking down the statistics, doing conference statistics, looking at everything, and I thought, what do I do? And I glanced at the roster, and we had about 30 players, and I think 17 of them, this was very bizarre, 17 of them shared two names. One was Katie, and the other one was like Jennifer or something. So we had 17 players that shared wow. these. It was it was very weird. And so I said, ah, you know, this is stupid, but what the heck, I'm going to kind of pitch this out there. And um, the, you know, the, the NBC affiliate picked it up, and it was um, – uh, I was surprised. I thought I was spinning my wheels, but they picked it up. And uh, so, and Trey Wingo, who's with uh, NFL on ESPN, happened to be the reporter. And he was a cool, he was really a cool guy then. I always wore tennis shoes with his suits. And uh, <laughs> was a great guy. And uh, I thought, wow, somebody bid on that. And it was a fun story. I think they gave it about a minute, a minute and a half on, a bro- which, you know, time in sports broadcast is precious. And so to be in St. Louis and to have that opportunity uh, to have somebody bite a story, it's just, you know, it's kind of my story of persistence. You know, I kept trying to figure out how could I do this rather than just throw my hands up in there and say they're never going to get coverage. And so it's just kind of one of those notch in the belt moments. That is a great story. Um, and then one last thing, and then we'll go That's ahead and fine. close it up. Yeah. Why should a student athlete pick Texas Tech and come to Lubbock over any other place? You know, um, I remember a story. The Philadelphia Inquirer, and I can't remember what year it was, but I remember the lead paragraph was about dusty, windswept. Um, it used all these adjectives that you know people outside of West Texas use, but if you're here, it's a negative connotation. And I remember reading that, and I thought, I've never met this person. So it doesn't mean they didn't come to Lubbock or haven't been here, but I've never met this person. They're writing a story about our football program. And so I called the reporter and, uh, for, well, I emailed to try to reach out because I, I couldn't get the person on the phone. And I said, you know, I, I just think it's, we'd love for you to come out and cover us. But I think it's, it's, it's very unfair that you um, uh, characterize West Texas this way. And, and I understand from the outside that that's how you see it, but I think it's very unfair and we'd love to have you come out here. And, um, you know, he didn't apologize or anything. I expect him to, and I didn't want him to apologize. I just wanted him to be aware that there's more to it than than these uh, uh, old, tired adjectives that people use to describe West Texas. And I know I'm kind of getting getting around to why recruits should come here. Oh, but, no problem, no problem. But uh, so we had a national writer, very well known, still very well known to this day, um, 
came to Lubbock, when we started really hitting our stride in 2006 and seven. he came to Lubbock. And I remember talking to him in the press box, and he said, I had no idea. He said, I had no idea your campus was this beautiful, that Lubbock had this much going on, that um, you've got all this construction. This is when the, uh, the Overton project across the across university from campus was still, buildings were going up. He said, I had no idea that all this was out here. And uh, he, ought, too, was a person that had used those adjectives and stories before. And um, so when it comes to recruiting, recruiting student-athletes, uh, recruiting faculty, um, the athletics department has done a wonderful job in the area of academic services uh, to give student-athletes every platform to be successful. I mean, I always say that if I came through as a student-athlete, I might be a neurosurgeon today. <laughs> uh, because they give them every platform to be successful. And um, uh, life skills programs, uh, there's a newly established leadership academy over there now that is fantastic. Marsha Sharpson. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing. And, and the, the what it all shows is that we, we care about the athlete, but we care about the student as well. And uh, so I think that's what they sell student athletes. Look, look, we've got great facilities. We've got good coaches. We've got um, uh, other amenities that are great. But we want you to succeed outside the classroom. You know, we hope you are professional. If you want to be a professional athlete, we are going to do our best to give you all the tools, the training, the platform, everything necessary to be successful as a professional athlete. But – if that doesn't work out, we want you to walk out of here with a degree. Uh, some walk out. They, you know, If you maximize the time you're given, walk out with a master's degree. And we want you to be a productive member of the workforce. And uh, you know, I think that uh, – but it comes down, and you hear this all the time. When people come to campus, that's when we sell them. And it goes to show that Texas Tech certainly hasn't lost perspective in all this, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah. a huge bonus, and I agree. Uh, and the uh, Felicia Martin came on our podcast yes. uh, a while ago, and and she was kind of she did a great job illustrating that whole concept. She is yeah, she is absolutely fantastic. She's uh, energized that program there. Yeah. And the graduation rate for student athletes here is outstanding. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really, well, thanks. your time thank is you. so valuable that I feel honored. Uh, no, thank you. I enjoyed it. I, I'm happy to do this anytime. Always, I like talking. That's what I do. Go ahead. Same here. <laughs> Great yeah, yeah, thanks again. All right, thanks, man.